All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, March 10th. We're back for a Thursday edition of DBP after a little bit of a break. It is great to see you. It's great to study together. This week's Torah portion is Vayikra, and the main focus is on the sacrifices. It's on the Karbanot, sacrifices, the offerings that were brought in the ancient tabernacle and then in the temple. We've discussed so far this week two forms of offerings, the Ola and the Shlamim. The Ola is the burnt offering. The Shlamim is the peace offering. Both are voluntary offerings. So someone of their own volition, of their own decision, their own desire, decides to give a donation, to give a gift to Hashem, etc. They can give it as an Ola offering. Certain animals, a certain way to do it. The whole animal is burnt on the altar. It's got to be a male animal of cattle, of, of, of sheep or goats, birds or a flower. Um, and that is brought on the altar. Or a person can choose to bring a shlamim, which is uh, a peace offering, like shalom, peace, a peace offering, which part of that offering goes on the altar, part is eaten by the Kohen, and part is eaten by the one who brought it. Hence, everyone gets a share, and thus it brings peace to all three parties, God, the Kohen, and the offerer. Um, this, animal, this offering could also be brought from various uh, categories. It could be brought from cattle, sheep, and goats. And it can be brought, um, hold on, and that might be it. Just cattle and sheep and goats. Yeah, there were no, uh, no flower offerings in that category. All right, we covered that yesterday. We also specified that when it comes to all the animal offerings um, that are burnt in the altar, or at least some animal offerings that are burnt in the altar, the parts that are eaten, like a shlamim, parts that are eaten by the coin or the person, there are parts that are always burnt. The fats and different parts of the, the internal, whatever, internal parts of the animal are burnt. And we, had, we concluded yesterday's reading with a blanket prohibition. Chelev, these internal fats, are never permitted to be consumed. Private consumption, it's never kosher. Even a kosher animal, slaughtered properly, cannot eat certain parts of the animal, certain fats. And blood also cannot be consumed. Sorry, vampires. Um, not, uh, not, a kosher, not a kosher thing. So no fat, no blood can be consumed. It's not kosher. Take, that takes us to today's reading, which is reading number five. I'm going to pull it up here, and let's take it away. So this is Leviticus chapter four. I like how the readings are keeping lockstep with the chapters. I've noticed that. So Leviticus chapter four, reading number five, we talk about another category, another cat, a third category of offering. This is going to be the sin offering. Okay, and the, and I would say most people associate the sacrifice. I don't know most people. Many people associate the sacrifice. Uh, the sacrificial service with sin, like a sin offering. But as we've seen this week, there are many more options that are available as well. All right, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally by committing one of all the commandments of the Lord, which may not be committed, and he commits part of one of them. So what's the scenario? The Torah specifies a scenario. Somebody commits a sin, bishkaga. The Hebrew is bishkaga, that means unintentionally. It's not that the person knew, this is wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. That's not what we're talking about. Somebody did something, either they didn't realize it was wrong, or they didn't realize they were doing something wrong, either way. In other words, either they didn't know the action was wrong, or they didn't, recognize the action that they were taking somehow. 
Either way, a person unwittingly, unintentionally commits a transgression. So here's we go. So, so here's what you do. Here, here we go. So that's a general category. So someone who sins, so what do you do? So now the Torah gives us like a, 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 a conceptual like fork. Like here's a bunch of options of who might be doing this unintentional sin. So if the anointed Kohen sins, this is talking about the, um, the, the, uh, a special Kohen who was anointed who had various spe- special roles. So if it's the anointed Kohen who sins, bringing guilt to all the people, or to the people, because he is a representative of the people, then he shall bring for his sin, which he has committed, an unblemished young bull as a sin offering to the Lord. So first type of sin offering is for the anointed Kohen who sins and thus renders almost everybody guilty by proxy. Thus, he brings an unblemished young bull and that is his sin offering. Okay, what does that consist of? What does that look like? Here we go. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Remember that is the entrance that's outside the little building, outside near the altar. That's where the bull is brought to. That's where the bull is brought to. It's before the Lord because it's in front of that building. And he shall lean his hand forcefully upon the bull's head and slaughter the bull before the Lord. The bull, there's smicha again, there's hands placed in the bull and the bull is shechted, the bull is slaughtered. And the anointed Kohen shall take from the, blood, from the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of meeting. This is the first sacrifice, the first offering that we see where it involves going into that building. So now he takes the bull. Up until now, we've, had, um, we've done things with the blood. We've sprinkled it around the altar. That was the outer altar. That's the altar that's outside the building. Now we're talking about bringing the bull into the tent of meeting, into the building. And the Kohen shall dip his finger into the blood. So imagine he collects it in, in, in a bowl, dips his finger in the blood, and sprinkles some of the blood seven times before the Lord. What does it mean before the Lord? Listen to this. Before the dividing curtain of the sanctuary. He sprinkles it toward the dividing curtain that was by the sanctuary. The question is if that refers to the outer curtain, that is the entrance curtain, or the curtain that's between the holy and the holy of holies, that's the inner curtain. That would be the question. Okay, so let's see what we got here. Yeah. Rashi clarifies this is the inner curtain. Right? The blood was to be sprinkled toward the dividing curtain opposite the place of its holiness, namely directed to the site between the poles which were attached to the holy ark. So it seems like okay, the blood did not touch the dividing curtain. It wasn't supposed to, but if it did touch, it touched, and it's fine. Okay, I'm going to explain what's on going floor? on. Yeah, basically, toward, yes. Well, I mean, toward the direction of the curtain, but not necessarily hitting the curtain, if that makes sense. So he would stand, remember the room, how big was the... How big was the, the whole sanctuary building? It was, I'm forgetting the measurements. It was a decently sized building. Okay, it was a decently sized building. So he stands inside the building um, and he faces that curtain that's separating between where he is and the Holy of Holies that's behind that curtain with the ark. And he puts his finger in and he sprinkles it. He sprinkles it toward, toward that area. The intention is not for it to hit the curtain, as Rashi says, but to go toward that area. And so you're right, it would fall on the floor, on the ground. Um, 
if it hit the curtain, it's fine also, but it wasn't necessarily intended to hit it. And it was, and it was aimed toward the curtain, i.e. to the center of the curtain, which would be between the two poles. As you recall, the, there was the arc behind the curtain, right? In the Holy of Holies was the arc. The arc had two poles, right, parallel to each other. And he would aim the blood to go between the poles, basically dead center on that curtain or toward that curtain in the center. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. Um, let's get back inside. So, and, and again, I, I know I pointed this out already, but I just want to point out one more time. This is very different than the first two categories of offerings that we've had before. We had the burnt offering and the peace offering. In both cases, nothing happened inside the building. Nothing happened inside. It was all outside. It was all by the outer altar, the copper altar, right? All, all stuff happened. It was slaughtered. The bull was sprinkled around that altar. It was burnt on the altar. They ate it. They didn't eat it. Whatever. It all happened out there. The sin offering with the Kohen HaMashiach, the anointed, Mashiach means anointed, the, the, um, the anointed priest, suddenly it's different. You do slaughter the animal outside, but then you bring the blood inside, and now you sprinkle it toward the curtain before the Holy of Holies. Okay, back inside. Let's, uh, let's continue the verses. And we're going we're gonna to do all the Rashi soon, but let's continue the narrative. And the Kohen shall place some of the blood on the horns, on the corners. Remember, there were like protrusions on the four corners. But this time of the incense altar, which is in the tent of meeting. So now the blood, again, by the other, it was dashed around the outer altar. Now you're sprinkling blood toward the, toward the curtain, and you're applying blood to the corners of the inner altar inside the Olamot, inside the tent of meeting, before the Lord. And he shall pour all the blood of the bull, that is the remaining blood, so that was just sprinkling and, and applying some blood, but the rest of the blood he shall pour onto the base of the altar used for burnt offerings, that's the outer altar, which is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So it's pretty, I, don't know, I can't say it's complicated, but it's, there's a few steps here. The animal slaughtered outside. First, the first blood is collected in a bowl. It's taken inside, sprinkled toward the curtain, applied toward the inner altar. The rest of the blood is, been, is being collected, and it is poured at the base of the outer altar, which is used for, of course, the burnt offerings, which is at the entrance, and it was outside the tent of meeting. Okay, so that's all with the blood. What else? And all the fat of the sin offering. But he shall separate from it the fat covering the innards, and, the, and all the fat that is on the innards, same items as we mentioned last time with the peace offering, and the two kidneys along with the fat that is on them, which is on the flanks, and the diaphragm with the liver along with the kidneys, he shall remove it. So all of these... Items, pieces, whatever you call it, were removed from the animal, just as was separated from the bull sacrifice as a peace offering. <laughs> the Torah itself says, same thing as we talked about yesterday, right? Just like you did with the peace offering, that these parts were pulled out of the animal, these fats and, 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 and internal organs, whatever, the, the liver, the kidney, they were pulled out and offered on the, uh, burnt on the altar, same deal with the sin offering. Just as these, these items, just as was separated from the bulls, I read the peace offering, the Kohen shall then cause them as well, I'm adding, to go up and smoke on the altar used for burnt offerings, i.e. the outer altar. You do not put these on the inner altar. The inner altar was just for the incense. That golden altar inside that tabernacle building, no animal stuff. I mean, other than the blood, but no animal burning the burning stuff what happened on that altar it was just for the sweet smelling beautifully smelling incense outside that was where the animals 
um, were offered and, and went up as well in fire, certain parts. So these were for the sin offering. The blood service was done inside and outside, sprinkling inside and applying to the altar, pouring outside by the outer altar. And then certain items, certain parts of the animal were burnt on that outer altar as well. Well, let's continue. What happens to the rest of the animal? He shall then take the bull's skin and all its flesh, along with its head and along with its legs, its innards and its waste matter. So all of that stuff, he shall take out the entire bull to a clean place outside the camp. Namely, to the ash depository, and he shall burn it in fire on wood. So look at this. All these items, all these parts of the animal, the skin, the flesh, the head, the legs, the innards, the waist, all of that stuff, basically the entire bull, the rest of the entire bull, is taken outside the camp. Outside. Not just outside the, 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 the tabernacle. Not just outside the courtyard. Okay, let me, let me just explain. If you recall, I, we've discussed this before, the way they encamped in the wilderness is the, the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan was in the center, and then the Levites, the flanked on four sides by Levite families, priestly families and Levite families, and then around that, it kind of fanned out, around that was um, uh, the 12 tribes. Three on each, three in each direction. Three, 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 three. Northeast, southwest, 12 tribes. So there were three camps. There were three camps. One was, well, the priestly camp, the Levite camp, the Israelite camp. I don't know if the priestly and Levite camp was a separate camp. It might have been one camp. It might, the three might be the tabernacle itself, the priests and Levites, and the Israelites. Whatever. Either way, when the Torah tells us now that for the sin offering, some of the animal, the blood is applied to the altars, and then some is burnt on the altar, but the rest, the rest of the animal, the majority of the animal is taken outside and being burnt, that means outside all three camps. That means like outside, outside. Not amidst the encampment. That means outside. And as the Torah tells us, they had a fire there. They had a fire. And they burnt, the, they burnt this animal, uh, the sin offering, out there, out, out of the camp. Let's read that. Rabbi? Yeah. Rabbi, excuse me. So the Israelites are the, t the other ten tribes? Twelve tribes. Oh. So. Remember, remember, the, the Levites and the Kohanim all came from the tribe of Levi. They both came from Levi. It was either Aaron's descendants or Moses' descendants. Or, or, I mean, or Aaron's descendants were Kohanim. The rest of the family was Levites. So, they, that was, so the Levites and the, the, the priests and the Levites, the Kohanim and the Levim, all came from one tribe. Now, that would leave 11 tribes. However, however, um, Joseph's tribe was divided into Menashe and Ephraim. So that one tribe split into two for the purposes of still maintaining 12 tribes. So you still had 12 tribes aside from the priests and Levites, if that makes sense. So you had three, 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 Menashe and Ephraim were divided into two. Okay, but this animal that needs to be burned is burnt outside this whole configuration. It's like outside the whole living area, if you will. Okay, let's take a look inside. I'm going to read that verse once again. He shall take out the entire bowl to a clean place outside the camp, namely to a place called the ash depository, or it was the ash depository, and he shall burn it in fire. Oh, oh, oh. let me explain. What's the ash depository? The, okay, sorry, sorry for for doing this in pieces, but I just want to make sure there's 100% there's clarity here. The ash depository 
was a place outside the camp, outside all three camps, where they would remove the ashes from the altar, right? We spoke last night at the Torah studies class about stoking um, the altar with, with wood. You needed to have wood to burn, to, to, to have a fire. That's, that's how the altar was functional, okay? That's all that is true. But you know what, what happens when you have a wooden fire? It produces a lot of ash. You know what happens when you burn animals on the altar or stuff from, the, from animals on the altar? It produces ash. What do you do with all that ash? So there was a place every day they took out the ashes from the altar and they took it outside the camp. They had a place where they removed the ashes too. In that place is where the burnt, where this, this sin offering is burnt as well. I guess there's ashes there anyway. Might as well. I mean, I'm not giving a rationale. I'm just saying that that's pragmatically, that's where it was done for whatever reason is whatever reason, but that's, that, that's, uh, that's where it happened, right? So you take the bull to the ash depository and he shall burn it in fire on wood in that place. Thus it shall be burnt in the ash depository where, where all the ashes from the altar are dumped, if you will. That's where this sin offering is burnt. So all of that, again, we're talking about sin offerings the first type of sin offering was for a very specific case. The case was the anointed Kohen. Who sins? Right? If the anointed Kohen sins. So that's first type of sin offering. Next. Actually, before we do next, let's go through Rashi. Okay? Rashi. Um, When the holy priest sins, Rashi says, quoting from the Agadah, it is, not Haggadah, that's Passover, the Agadah is like um, a, a Midrash. It is the fault of the people. Look at that. For they are dependent on him to atone for them and pray for them, and now he has become impaired. I don't know if it's the fault of the people or the people are in trouble. I think that's what Rashi is trying to say. When the holy priest, priest sins, it's not the fault of the people necessarily, but it's Everyone's in trouble. Why? Because they're dependent on him to atone for them and pray for them. Because the, the, the holy priest is the one who's supposed to go to bat for the people. If he's impaired, ho, 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 everyone's in trouble. That's the, that's the point. That's the point. Now everyone's in trouble. So this, this becomes now not just a personal issue. It becomes a, uh, an international affair, so to speak. This becomes like a communal issue. Um, how old is the bull? Right, he should bring an unblemished young bull. How old is this bull? So Rashi says it refers to a bull in its third year. And there's a whole back and forth as to how we get to that point. But the bottom line is it's a bull in its third year that is brought as this sin offering on behalf of the, that the anointed coin brings. Tent of meeting, Rashi says, means the Mishkan. That means the building. And in the temple, in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, what was it? It was the Hechel. The same, the same equivalent. It was the, the building, which housed the menorah, the table, and the incense altar, the equivalent of the Holy and the Mishkan in the desert. Okay, fine. We got that. This, this, I feel like, after spending weeks on this, I think we, we have a picture of what this thing looked like. Um, dividing current. I did this Rashi already before. The blood, the remaining blood, is poured on the outer altar. Okay, here we go. The fat. 
Uh, I feel like we already covered that last time. Interesting. Rashi says, um, he shall remove the fat while it is still attached to the animal. He should not cut the animal into pieces before the removal of its fat. The fat is removed first. I guess there was a way of removing the fat without having to cut up into smaller pieces. But either way, it's the fat and, and, and the kidneys and the diaphragm and the liver and etc. Those items were burnt in the altar and the rest was, um, was burnt outside. But the Torah says that these, are, these items are burnt in the altar just as was separated from the, from the bull, sacrificed as a peace offering. So Rashi says, like those parts specified in the case of the ox, offered as a peace offering. But what is specified in the case of the peace offering that is not specified here? Nothing at all. So I mentioned the peace offering altogether. Aha. So the Torah says, these are the items of the sin offering that should be burnt in the altar. And then it's after listing all of them, it says, yeah, just like the peace offering. So why'd you do that? If, you could have either done one, or two, one of two things. Either just mention the items and that's it. Or mention or say that it's like the peace offering and not mention the items. But here you mention the items and then you say, oh, and it was exactly like we did with the peace offering. So why do both? So Rashi says there's a, comp- there's a comparison just in order to compare it to the peace offering. Just as the peace offering had to be designated for the specific purpose of a peace offering, right? It had to be designated. So too, this sacrifice had to be designated for its specific purpose. And just as peace offerings bring peace to the world, as we said yesterday, so too this sacrifice brings peace to the world as well. So this sin offering brings peace to the world, just as the peace offering. So when the Torah says, yeah, you should burn this and that and that and that and that, the fat and the diaphragm and the liver and the kidneys on the altar, just like the peace offering, we don't need that for the items that were burnt on the altar, because you just told me what those items are. Why did you say, just like the, just like the peace offering? Because bring, this brings peace to the world, just like that brought peace to the world. I hope that makes sense. All right. Um, take a look at a clean place. Where did they take it out? Oh, I was right. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's read this inside. To a clean place. You take the animal out to a clean place. Rashi, since there was a place outside the city designated for uncleanness, uncleanness namely to cast plague-stricken stones which had thereby become unclean, uh, okay, and for a cemetery. Scripture needed to qualify this instance of outside the camp as a clean place. Let me explain. You know, outside the encampment, there were other things that were done out there, like um, lepers, somebody who had saras went out there, um, any stones that were, you know, um, became impure, were taken out there. Cemeteries were out there. Like, you had things of uncleanliness that were put outside the dwelling place. So that's what the Torah specifies. When you take the bull out, out of the encampment, make sure it's a clean place. Don't take it to the, to the place of impurity. Take it to a place of purity outside the camp. It's out, it still has to be outside the camp, but make sure it's a clean place outside the camp because you had... Many places that were not clean, clean doesn't mean physically, it means spiritually, right? Places that were impure that were outside the camp as well. So that's why you have to be careful what's what. Now, in the case of Jerusalem, Rashi says, this was equivalent to outside the city, that the place had to be ritually clean. Okay. Now, outside the camp, what does that mean, outside the camp? I told, you, I told, this, I told this to you before. 
outside the three camps of the encampment of Israel, where they were set up, set up in the desert, namely, what were the three camps? The camp of the Shechina, that's the Mishkan in the center, the Levite camp, which surrounded the Mishkan, and the general Israelite camp, which surrounded the Levite camp. So it was Lahavdil, like, um, no, it's not like that. I've seen pictures of, again, Lahavdil, not to draw a comparison, but um, Burning Man, right? They have that Burning Man thing out west. So, but I believe there you have a main stage and everyone fans out from there back. But here, the encampment was, everything was around the center. So you had the tabernacle in the center, surrounding it was the Levite camp, and then surrounding it was the Israelite camp, and then outside of that, you had, uh, you had impure things, and then you had pure things. You had a pure place and an impure place. Okay. And take it to the ash depository. As I told you, that's the place where they poured out the ashes, which were removed from the altar. As it says, we haven't learned this yet, yet, but it's going to say next week, and he shall take out the ashes outside the camp. There was a ritual every day, taking, removing the ashes from the altar outside the camp. And it shall be burnt in the ash depository. But the verse has just told us this. Surely, Rashi says, it does not need to restate this. However, the repetition comes to teach us that the bull shall be burnt in the ash depository even if there are no ashes at the time. So even if the ash depository is empty for whatever reason, you should still burn it there in that space. Okay, now we're up to the next category of sin offering. We've talked about the anointed priest who sins. And now we're going to talk about the next category. And if the entire community of Israel errs, because of a matter, because a matter was hidden from the eyes of the congregation. So now everyone makes a sin. Now, how is it possible that everybody sins? Well, this is possible if the court, the judges, right, the leaders issued a ruling that was incorrect. And now everybody acts on it and makes a mistake. So imagine if everybody makes a mistake. So if the entire community of Israel errs because a matter was hidden from the eyes of the congregation, it's not like they intended to sin. It's not like everyone got together and said, let's, you know, let's defy God's will. It's not what happened. They made a mistake. They all made a mistake. And they commit one of the commandments of the Lord, which may not be committed, incurring guilt. So they, they, they did the wrong thing and they are now guilty of that sin. So when the sin, now they didn't even know it was a sin because they thought they were acting on good information. But when the sin which they had committed becomes known, because again, they didn't know it was even a sin. They were told it's good. Now they're told it's not good. Uh Uh-oh. So what do you do then? Now they realize they made a big mistake. So the congregation shall bring a young bull as a sin offering. Again, same thing, a young bull, and it's a sin offering. Called a chatas. It's a chatas. Chatas is a sin offering. One second, let me finish this verse. They shall bring it, once again, before the tent of meeting. That's where the animal is brought, outside the building, right outside the building. Yes, Donna. Interesting current day uh, similarity. So in the Catholic Church, a priest uh, gave over many, many, many years, hundreds of communions. And he thought he was being nice by modernizing the way he did it. By Instead of saying, I commune you, he said, we commune you, meaning the community. So all of a sudden there was a ruling that since he changed the wording, all of those communions are invalid. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I, re- I, read, I, read, I read that article. Yeah. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. 
Um, yeah, so in this case, and you know what, I'll toggle Rashi. Let's, let's actually study the Rashi on this very quickly so we see exactly how it happened. Like, how did it happen that everyone sinned? And it's exactly that. It's the leadership that made a mistake, and then everyone followed that lead. So Rashi says, what does it mean that the community of Israel sins? This refers to the great Sanhedrin. That's the Supreme Court of Israel. Not, not the modern-day Supreme Court, but the ancient, you know, the, the Torah-based Supreme Court that was seated at the Holy Temple. So that means, Rashi says, that the Sanhedrin issued an erroneous decision regarding any matter of the Torah that incurs a penalty of excision by declaring that matter permissible. Basically, for whatever reason, and we can come up, I don't know, we can come up with scenarios, but somehow the court made a mistake. Obviously not a simple one. You're not like, oh, yeah, you're allowed to um, eat that. Or, I mean, obviously something not so obvious, but something that was a little bit complicated. And they just, they made, they made an erroneous decision. But when they made it, they thought it was the right decision. But then later on, it's found out that it's the wrong decision. So now what do you do? Right? Oh, I did the wrong button there. Sorry. Let me try that again. So what do you do? Let me toggle Rashi off. Let's get back into the narrative. Then we'll go back to Rashi. So they should bring, once again, a young bull. Bring the bull in front of the tent of meeting. Let's continue. The elders of the community shall lead. Oh, one second, one second. Time out. Not everyone has to bring a, a, a sin offering. That would be a lot of millions of sin offerings. No, one on behalf of everyone. Since everyone made the same mistake, essentially, right? The, the issue is the mistake. There was one mistake made. The application was many, many, many times over because everyone did it or whatever. But the mistake was once. It was one mistake. So there's one offering that's brought on behalf of everyone. Well, who should do the hand leaning? Typically, the whoever's bringing the animal leans the hands on the animal. Now who's doing it? The elders. The elders of the community shall lean their hands forcefully upon the bull's head. They represent the people. So the elders will do it. They do the smicha before the Lord, and one shall slaughter the bull before the Lord. So again, the, the, the slaughtering happens outside. The anointed Kohen, who we talked about before in his scenario of sin, here the anointed Kohen shall bring some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. So he brings it also, now in this case, it also goes inside, inside the tent. And the Kohen shall dip his finger from the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, before the divine curtain. Same deal. He brings in the blood in a bowl, dips his finger in, and, and, and flicks it, right, sprinkles it toward the divine curtain. And he shall then place some of the blood on the horns of the altar, same, same as before. Place some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. And then he shall pour all the blood, the rest of the blood, onto the base of the altar. That's the outer altar used for burnt offerings, which is at the edge of the tent of meeting. So the same deal. The bull is brought outside the building. The hands are leaned upon it. The bull is slaughtered. The blood is collected. It's brought inside the building, sprinkled toward the ark seven times, applied to the four corners, the four horns, so to speak, of the altar, the inner altar. The rest of the blood is poured at the base of the outer altar. Let's continue. And he shall separate all its fat from it and cause it to go up in smoke on the altar. He shall do to the bull, this bull, just as he did to the bull of the sin, sin offering that we mentioned before, thus he shall do to it. In other words, just like when it came to the sin offering of the Kohen Hamashiach, the, um, the anointed Kohen, that he, the bull and the fats and the dye from the kid, same deal. The Torah doesn't get into it again. It just says it's the same deal as the previous sin offering. Thus the Kohen shall make atonement for them, the community, and they will be forgiven. So the Kohen, through the ritual, 
facilitates atonement on behalf, from God obviously, on behalf of the entire community and they will be forgiven. And same deal. He shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it just as he burnt the first bull. In other words, the bull that we talked about for the other sin offering. It is a sin offering for the congregation. Okay, let's pause here for a moment and I just want to point out something that I think is important. The sin offering touches all three places. The sin offering, the bull, the, the bull sin offering, the blood goes inside. The blood, the, there's blood applied to the inner spaces. There's blood applied to the courtyard space. And there's the burning of the animal that happens outside, outside, outside. It touches all dimensions. The, just to, to, to contrast this with what we spoke about the last few days, the burnt offering. Yeah, what happened to the burnt offering? You brought it to the courtyard. You leaned your hand on it. You slaughtered the animal. You applied some blood or whatever it is. And you burnt the animal on the altar, on the outer altar. It all happened in one location. Same thing with the peace offering. It all happened in one location. With the sin offering, it, it takes place on multiple sets, multiple locations, right? On location. There's the slaughtering that happens in the courtyard. Blood is applied inside. Blood is applied in the courtyard again, outside, by the, uh, the altar. It's burned outside, outside, outside all three camps. So you have, it's a multi-location experience. I'm sure there's some symbolism there, right? To fix a problem, when you're donating, it's fine, whatever. Do, do, do it wherever. But when you're trying to fix something, trying to fix a sin, a correction, we gotta, we gotta find all the spaces, all the nooks and crannies. Right? Because again, it's not magic. An animal gets offered and suddenly we're scot-free. That's not, it's no hocus pocus. There's an internal, internal introspection, internal work that also must happen. And the message here is to really fix a problem, to fix something internal, we got to go inside, outside, outside, outside. We got we to gotta cover the entire gamut of space. Okay, back inside. Let's continue the reading. Actually, here I want to pause. Okay, we have a few more verses. I want to pause here and go back to the Rashis that we just did of those four or five verses. Okay. <clears throat> Rashi, Rashi, Rashi. We did some Rashis. We talked about this being a communal sin that is caused by a, an erroneous verdict or ruling of the great Sanhedrin. Interesting. When it comes to this sin offering, it says that it's sprinkled seven times before the dividing curtain. Rashi points out, but above with the first sin offering, which was for the, uh, the anointed Kohen, it says it's sprinkled before the dividing curtain of the sanctuary. How come it leaves out those words of the sanctuary? So Rashi answers, this may be compared to a king against whom a province revolted. If only a minority rebels, his cabinet remains intact. If the entire country rebels, however, his cabinet does not remain intact. Here too, when the anointed Kohen sinned, that was the previous case, right? One person sinned. The name of holiness was still attached to the sanctuary. When they all sin, in this case, the whole community makes a mistake. Ay, ay, ay. Then, God forbid, the holiness retracts. So thus, it's not called the, the, the curtain of the sanctuary. It's just called 
the dividing curtain. That's a heavy Rashi. That's a heavy Rashi. It's like if one mistake happens, all right, we, we fix that. But if everyone's making a mistake, we've got to overhaul something. Some, something's wrong. We've got to do a bit of a deeper dive over here. Okay. When you pour the blood at the base of the altar, Rashi says it's the western base. The western side is where it was done. It says he shall separate its fat. If, I'm sure you noticed this. Although scripture does not explicitly mention the diaphragm, the two kidneys, and for that matter, the, the liver and everything, they are derived from verse 20 below where it says he shall do to this bull just as he did to the other bull. So it's identical. Now, why are these details not specified here? So uh, the school of Rabbi Yishmael taught this could be compared to a king who was furious with his beloved friend but shortened the amount of his offense because of the affection he had for him. In other words, God is not happy, certainly, that everyone sinned, but, all right, we're just going to give the Cliff Notes version here. We're not going to specify all the stuff that needs to be burnt in the altar. We'll rather say, yeah, just do whatever you did before, do it again for the, for the community. Okay. Um, yeah, the same procedure like the bull, like the other bull, i.e. just as is delineated in the case of the bull of the anointed coin. Thus, including the procedure of sacrificing the spool is the burning of the diaphragm and the two kidneys, etc. All right, I'm going to skip the rest of, the, of that Rashi. Okay, good. All right, that's it for Rashi for what we read so far. Let's continue with our third scenario. Third sin offering. All of these are sin offerings, but different people. One is the anointed Kohen. One is the community by virtue of the Sanhedrin paskining, ruling incorrectly. And number three, if the leader, if a leader of Israel sins and unintentionally commits one of all the commandments of the Lord, which may not be committed incurring guilt. So now it's not a Kohen. It's not the community um, based on a faulty ruling of the Sanhedrin. It's now a leader of Israel. Nasi. Nasi means like the president, uh, vice, uh, prime minister, leader, the leader, the leader. Imagine if the Moses sins. The Moses. The Moses of the generation. What, what do you do now? The leader sinned. Ay, ay, ay. It's not an intentional sin. It's not like he went rogue. It was a mistake, unintentionally. So what happens? Now, if, it's, now, if, 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 you don't, if he doesn't even know he's sinned, then you can't do anything. But if his sin that he has committed is made known to him, in other words, he, find, he realizes, ay, 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 I thought that was okay. It's wrong. I made a mistake. So when he realizes the mistake, then he shall bring his offering. Again, a sin offering is only when it's unintentional. If it's premeditated, it's not a sin offering. It's a different. It's a guilt offering. It's not a sin offering. The sin. I just want to. You know. I. I, I know that I'm going to a lot of details here, and I hope. I hope everything is making sense. But I, I feel like it's important that we have these ideas clear. There's a sin offering, and a guilt offering, a chatos and an asham. Two different offerings. The sin offering is when you're not guilty. I mean, you are guilty, but it's not like it's not like you did it intentionally. It wasn't like a devious act. It was a mistake or it was unintentional. So the sin was committed. It is a sin offering. The sin was committed, but there's less guilt for the person. So the offering is not a guilt offering. It's a sin offering. You're bringing it for the wrong that was committed, less about the the deviousness of the person who committed the sin, if that makes sense. It's more about the action 
than about the person, although, of course, the person who did it takes responsibility and has to fix up whatever they need to fix up so that they won't make an unintentional mistake again. But nonetheless, it's more about the sin and less about the guilt. So in this case, once again, we have the same phraseology. The Torah uses the same phrase, right? Um, he unintentionally committed the sin and he incurred guilt because at the end of the day, he did do it, but it's not as much guilt as it is sin. So when he realizes, when, he, when it's made known to him that he committed a sin, then he should bring his offering. And what's the offering? Here we go. An unblemished male goat. Until now, we had two cases where bulls were brought, right? We talked about the bull, right? The ox, the bull. Now, it's a goat. It's a goat. For the leader, so for the Kohen that's anointed, for the, the court and the people that made a mistake, all of those cases are bulls. In this case, it's a goat. And he shall lean his, has, hands, uh, his hand, the leader, shall lean his hand forcefully upon the goat's head and slaughter it in the place where he slaughters burnt offerings, in other words, outside, in the courtyard area, <coughs> before the Lord, it is a sin offering. And the Kohen shall take some of, some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and place it on the horns of the altar used for burnt offerings. That's the outer, the outer altar. And then he shall pour its blood onto the base of the altar used for burnt offerings. No mention of taking the blood inside. Notice that? No mention of going inside the building. And he shall cause all its fat to go up and smoke on the altar, just like the fat of the peace offering. Thus the Kohen shall make atonement for sin, and he will be forgiven. So no going inside, and no, let me just quickly look at, that's it. That's it. No mention of taking the blood inside to the, to the holies, to the, to the inner space. No mention of the inner altar. No mention of burning the animal outside. <coughs> Everything seems to be burnt in that one location, the main outer altar, the copper altar. Let's toggle Rashi for these last few verses and make sure that we have everything solidly understood. <clears throat> Here we go. Okay, if the leader sins, Rashi says, the Hebrew says, Asher Nasi Yechta. Asher nasi yechda. Why does scripture... Okay. Um, so Asher, the word Asher, is reminiscent of the word Ashrei. Ashrei, which means fortunate. Asher means that, or when, or if, which is how it's translated here as if. But it also is related to... The word Asher is also related to the word Ashrei, which also means fortunate. So we have another idea here that, that, that comes out, which is namely... Fortunate is the generation whose leader does not hold himself too high, but rather gives attention to bring an atonement offering for his unintentional sins. How lucky a people to have a leader that's so transparent that even when he makes a sin that's unintentional, he could tell himself, ah, doesn't mean anything. I didn't mean it anyway, right? Let alone corruption, intentional corruption. This is unintentional. And still he, he transparently steps up to the temple. He announces to the people. He goes to the temple. It's a public place. They didn't do it at night. They did it in the middle of the day. He goes over to the temple with his goat and he leans his hand and he says, I made a mistake. He, there's a confession that happens. If you have a leader that's so transparent, that so owns up for what they did wrong, lucky are you generation. Lucky are you. Ashrei. Ashrei. You're lucky to have such a leader. 
How much more so will he experience remorse for the sins he has committed willfully? If even the unintentional stuff he, he takes care of, how much more so stuff that he knows he's wrong, will he, will he um, make sure to, to fix that? Okay. I love that teaching. By the way, this is a vote for transparent leadership. That's, that's what this is. That's what this, what this Rashi is all about. <coughs> Transparency. Owning up, taking responsibility, admitting guilt. It's not so bad. No one's perfect. We can admit guilt. So it's good. Um, yeah, Rashi explains what happened here. When he committed the sin, he thought it was permissible. Like he knew what he was doing. He just thought it was fine. But afterwards, it became known to him that it was forbidden. He didn't realize it was, this was actually not okay. He brings this offering... He slaughters it in the same place as the burnt offerings, namely in the north, northern area of the holy temple courtyard, as is mentioned with the burnt offerings. Okay, by the northern side. It's a sin offering. Okay, great. The blood, the remaining blood, just like the fat. I.e., just like the parts of the animal burnt in the altar specified for the goat mentioned under the category of peace offerings. Oh, oh, look at that. Just like the parts. So what's burnt in the altar? The, the same theme like the peace offering, just like the parts of the animal burnt in the altar specified for the goat mentioned under the category of peace offerings. In other words, if we want to know what that is, all we need to do, the power of the internet, just click on four and go back yesterday and look at the goat, right? Look at the goat. If a sacrifice is a goat, right? So what's burned? You ready? Um, the fat covering the innards, the fat on the innards, two kidneys, the fat on them, diaphragm, the liver, and again, the two kidneys. Those are the items, those are the pieces of the goat peace offering that were brought. And the Torah tells us by the sin offering of the, um, of the leader, it's a goat again. And what should be burnt? The same thing, just like the fat of the peace offering, the same items. Not just the fat, the other items as well. Okay, so I want to uh, end off with one more insight. Look, today my objective was to make sure we understand exactly the procedure and the protocol, which I think it itself is dayenu. That's very important. We got, a, we got a, a, a nice little message about transparency and leadership and how it's good to have a leader that's, that's, uh, that's a good leader, that owns up their mistakes, doesn't pretend like they're perfect. That's not a good leader. Um, but I also want to mention one more insight, all the way in the beginning. Nefesh kisechta. The translation here is, if a person sins. But the word nefesh doesn't mean person. Nefesh means soul. Nefesh kisechta means a soul that sins. Not a person who sins, but, specific, but, but precisely a, a soul that sins. And thus, we have a beautiful insight from Kabbalah. Nefesh kisechta could be read as a statement, when a soul sins or if a soul sins, or it could be read as a rhetorical question, or as a question. As a wonder, nefesh kisechta, can a soul sin? How can a soul sin? How is it possible? We know the answer. We know the answer. The answer is because in addition to a soul, we have a body. Or in addition to the godly soul, we have an animal soul. We, we, we know why, because it's not the only game in town. If we just had a soul. But some from, from, uh, from now and again, we have to ask ourselves the question. Nefesh kisechta? If I have a soul, should I really be doing this? Right? We should ask ourselves this question. In other words, we should tell ourselves, I'm better than this. I have a soul. I have a nefesh. I have a neshama. I have a soul. I have a, I have a piece of God inside me. 
I should do this? This is degrading. This is debasing. I don't need to do this. I'm better than this. And this reminds me of the story with Dr. Torsky, Rabbi Dr. Torsky, which I've told many times, where he was once playing chess as a kid, playing chess on Rosh Hashanah. And his father wanted to tell him that it wasn't such a good thing to do. But instead of telling him, how dare you play chess on Rosh Hashanah, it's a holy day, right? You should be doing something better than that. Or you should be doing something else. He told them it's pasnished, right? It's not, it's not for you. It's not for you, right? You're a soul, you're a neshama, you're a nefesh. Chess and Rosh Hashanah, it's not for you. It's not a negative message. It's an empowering message. We should all look at ourselves as divine beings. And if we saw ourselves as divine beings, that itself would keep us, hopefully, or at least more, keep us better on the... Uh, do a better job of keeping us on the straight and narrow. All right, so in summation, today we introduced a third category of offerings known as the sin offering. The sin is not in a case of premeditated intentional sin. That's another thing. That's it's another category. This is where a person unintentionally did a sin. They didn't realize it was wrong. They did it. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't realize it was wrong. Later on, they found out it was wrong. Whoops. Ay, ay, ay. I made a mistake. I didn't realize. So now what do you do? Okay, so there's an app for that. When I say app, I mean there's a sacrifice for that. If it's the anointed Kohen bull, if it's the entire community because of an erroneous uh, um, decision issued by the, um, by the Sanhedrin, by the court, the high court, also a bull. If it's the leader, a goat. Okay, and based on these various scenarios, you have blood going here or there, burnt here or there, your mileage may vary as we read today. And of course, we concluded with a lesson. Well, we also, toward the end, had a lesson about transparent leadership. All right, thank you for joining me. Any questions, comments on this? Bo wants to say he's looking forward to the two-year anniversary. All well. right, Bo, we are looking forward as well. Wow, don't we forget. Company, you know? we I know, Bo has, has, has clocked a lot of hours of Torah study. Bo, yes. don't forget to bring your tuxedo. Because it looks like you're all, all dressed up for the, for the occasion. All dressed up for the party. Yeah, my, my goal will be to send out the email. It's already written in the next, I don't know, five, ten minutes. It should go out. All right, and then I'll, uh, I'll also ask for people to let me know if they plan on coming, and, and I'll let you know. All right, good, good. My pleasure. All right, Sarah, great to see you. Donna, great to see you. Um, tonight, don't forget, there's the, um, the, the event with the Chabad rabbi from Ukraine. Or, I don't know. Yeah, who is Chabad? One of the rabbis was interviewed this morning by CNN. Yeah. Oh, I didn't he, see that. A Chabad rabbi? Yeah. In, he's oh. a, yeah, right. He, organizing. Yeah. Oh, nice. In, yeah. And then he's. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, he, I didn't see it. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll look for it. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Yep. Chabad is a very big presence in Ukraine. Um. In fact, my understanding has been that the largest Jewish center in the world was in Ukraine, or is in Ukraine. Anyway, a lot of, lot of stuff to talk about. But 7.30 tonight, we're going to hear from Rabbi Levitansky from Ukraine. I don't know where he is right now, but who has a center in Ukraine? I'll, I'll try and research and see if I can get the... Yeah, yeah, if you, if you get that, send yeah. that to me. I'd love to see it. Okay, we'll see you guys. Have a great day. Take care. <laughs>